You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Okay, I think I have a solid pitch for filming an unfilmable book. Oh, which one? War and Peace? No. The Silmarillion? No. At the Mountains of Madness? Yes. I mean, no. Good Night Moon? Ugh, this could go on forever. Webster's Dictionary? Technically, that's a book. The the Haynes Manual for a Toyota Corolla? Yeah, let's just start the show. Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing 2012's Cloud Atlas. So we had a poll up on the website and we were like, here's three movies that were suggested to us. One of them was Live Free and Die Hard. Sorry, Live Free or Die Hard, a movie that I don't particularly want to watch again. Wing Commander, a famously terrible sci-fi B-movie, and Cloud Atlas. And y'all voted for Cloud Atlas. And let me tell you, thank you, because it made all three of us watch a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is great. I'm going to say something perhaps controversial here. Um I don't think we should have done this movie for the show. <laughs> I think it was a bad idea. Um, I, like I, I started watching this movie, and I, 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 you guys had said it was three hours long, and I was like, ugh. I had already seen it, and like for some reason, my memories of it weren't great, and I'm not particularly sure why. I think maybe it's because I'm just a better film watcher now. Um, Cloud Atlas, Cloud Atlas is the kind of movie that's just like uh, full of like pulling metaphors out and, and meaning and stuff like that. And uh, that's something I'm much better at doing now, especially thanks to doing this show for six years. Um, but I sat down to watch it thinking I was going to do it in shifts. And I was uh, so riveted that I just blasted right through it. It is a great film that clips on at a wonderful pace. I wonder if if uh, you're not the only one who sort of has has matured. I think maybe collectively the world wasn't ready for this flick in 2012 because <laughs> the the tomato meter it has got an equal 66 tomato meter and audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. It is uh, everyone agrees this movie is a 66 percent, two thirds good, and I, I just don't think that's the case. I think it's genuinely good, and I really wonder if it was maybe like cliched as it sounds ahead of its time yeah. um or just too ambitious for whatever the dum-dums in 2012 were gobbling up they were too excited for the avengers to to really uh want to give this movie a fair shake because it really reminded me of a of a lot of the themes of everything everywhere all at once and it's no everything everywhere all at once but damn if it doesn't like it, it, yeah, it is trafficked in some of the same themes, and I, I wonder if everyone should have given this more credit when it came out. Yeah, leave it to the Wachowskis to come out with a heady, 
and ambitious science fiction movie. <laughs> yeah. That everybody doesn't get <laughs> <laughs> until years later. Until years <laughs> later, where it's like, oh, right. Because I wrote this off. I remember when it, it, the reviews were bad when it came out, so I just skipped it. Like, and I wish I had. I mean, I'm glad we watched it for the podcast, but I kind of wish I hadn't. But maybe I wouldn't have liked it then, and and I have that the the um, frame of reference for it now. Like you're saying, Greg. Yeah, it's interesting. My my how I felt about it, uh, how I feel about it now compared to compared to then. I, I watched this in the theater when it when it first came out, um, and I just kind of remember being like mediocre on it. I I didn't I didn't I definitely didn't hate it. I, I mean, like I've said this before before on the show, but like I'm never bored watching a Wachowski film. Like. Even the ones that I don't particularly like, like I did not like Speed Racer, like uh, everyone else seems to. But you know, I was I was still kind of like in love with like watching it for all the capital C choices it was making, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's lots of there's lots of choices in this movie. Uh, some of them are great. Uh, some of them uh, clearly not so great, uh, which we'll talk <laughs> about later. Yeah, sure. there's some definitely <laughs> some problematic choices in this movie. Yeah. Um. Of course, uh, came out in 2012, directed by Tom uh, Tykwer uh, of Run Lola Run fame, Lana Wachowski and Lily Wachowski, written for the screen by Lana Wachowski and Tom Tykwer, uh, based on a novel, Cloud Atlas, by David Mitchell. I have to assume not the same David Mitchell from that Mitchell and Webb look. Um, <laughs> are we the baddies? Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I, David Mitchell's probably a pretty common name. Um, starring just an absolute murderer's row of uh, notable actors. Tom Hanks, Halle Berry, Hugh Grant, Hugo Weaving, Jim Broadbent, Jim Sturgis, Bay Duna, Ben Winshaw, Keith David, and James Darcy. Ben Wishaw. What did I say? Winshaw. <laughs> Winshaw, great. I was kind of banging him through. Ben Wishaw. <laughs> Wishaw. Isn't that the, the thing that dogs do in the Starlight Barking? Anyway, no. <laughs> ben Wishaw, famously Paddington Bear. Um, oh, dope. Although probably more people would recognize him as Q from the more recent James Bond movies. But yeah. Yeah. Keith um, David, always a delight. Great to see him here. Yeah, everybody, I think everyone has a, a lot of fun getting to, to, to play all the different characters. Um, and... Many of them playing very distinctive characters through the different time periods as well. So, like, it's it's interesting to see Tom Hanks playing so many very different kinds of people through the different yeah. periods. Um, and Halle yeah. Berry and, uh, weirdly, Hugo Weaving kind of playing the same character through every time period. <laughs> Poor Hugh Grant and Hugo Weaving are a villain no matter what time period they're in, apparently. <laughs> I uh, I love Tom Hanks the gangster. That was uh, probably one of my favorite bits. <laughs> <laughs> the gang? You mean the author? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who's, who's the gangster the slash the author? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go to the trailer and start unpacking this bad boy. Because who oh boy, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on here. <laughs> That's it. The music from my dream. At home. Movements I wrote imagining us meeting again and again in different lives, in different ages. I can't explain it, but I knew when I opened that door... A powerful deja vu ran through my bones. I heard it in a dream. I was in a nightmarish cafe, and the waitresses, they all had the same face. 
No reason to hide. I know you are Sonmi 451. Our lives are not our own. We are bound to others. Past and present. And by each crime and every kindness, we birth our future. A 19th century lawyer wrestles with his conscience when a stowaway slave sneaks into his cabin. 1930s English composer Robert Frobisher leaves his lover Rufus Sixsmith to work with famed musician Vivian Ayers, leading to Frobisher composing his own masterpiece, The Cloud Atlas Sextet. In 1970s, San Francisco journalist Louisa Ray is tipped off by now-nuclear physicist Sixsmith about a ploy by Big Oil to purposely allow a nuclear power plant to melt down. In 2012, Timothy Cavendish leads a greedy, selfish life as a publisher, earning the ire of the mob and his brother who tricks him into committing himself into a nursing home. Now the year is 2144, and fabricated being Sanmi for 451 escapes a life of servitude and learns the horrifying plight of her cloned kin. A century later after the fall, the post-apocalyptic tribes people worship Sanmi, while a mysterious race known as the Prescience seek to discover the secrets of their land. So yeah, six stories all overlapping. Uh, kind of like I said, theme thematically uh, everything everywhere all at once. Structurally, uh, love actually. Uh, Hugh, Hugh Grant and all. <laughs> Um, I will say this movie is impressively edited because mm-hmm. it, cl- despite being three hours long, it clips along at a good pace. Um, all of the stories are layered together in such a way that you never lose the thread of one as you flip into another one. And it, it very abruptly flips between the different time periods. And it all builds to this crescendo where everything kind of comes to a head all at the same time. And the tension is kind of held through all six of the stories. And it's really, really a feat. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you would almost think that it's, it clips from one time period to the next too quickly but it's it's done so masterfully that it doesn't you you don't feel like you're getting whiplash at any point in time you're just just moving along super quick and it doesn't even it doesn't even matter that you're going from like you know a a period piece to like a sci-fi future or whatever like it all just kind of works together really well yeah yeah there was a lot of um voiceover of one character talking over footage from another storyline and i think that helps smooth the transition and reinforce some of the ways in which these stories share narrative beats and thematic you know angles um, yeah. by by having <clears throat> dialogue from the last scene play over the establishing shot of the next one yeah, yeah it's what it what they call it is it called a j cut and an l cut and those yeah help definitely help make the transition so much smoother rather than just like bang hard cuts but yeah i i i found myself like i said i was just kind of gripped by everything and it, at no point was i i was never i was never bored i was always interested in what was happening um i don't know if you did you feel like you had a particular storyline that was one of your your favorites or or did it all kind of work for you 
I liked them all in their own ways. I'll admit I'm a sucker for a good cyberpunk story. <laughs> so the uh, the 2144 Neo Soul stuff uh, spoke to me kind of in an interesting way. But um, like I liked the post-apocalyptic stuff. I liked the 1800s um, stowaway story. I liked the weird 70s political thriller. I liked the quirky comedy of Timothy Cavendish and his <laughs> misadventure in the old folks' home. Like, it, And they were all so different and so similar at the same time in the way that they wove together. And ah, again, it's just, it's, it's a really well-constructed film. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'd say I had a favorite. I definitely found myself, it took a while for me to get into the um, lawyer on a ship storyline. And I also, Scott, you were saying it was really easy to tell the difference. For the first little bit of the movie, I found it hard to, to distinguish the composer Frobisher from the lawyer um, on the ship. Where I was like a couple times, it was I was like it just took me a second to orientate myself. Um, but overall, the, yeah, the, it was smooth and and I, I don't know that I had a favorite, but maybe the, the slave ship one was the or the slave stowaway one was the least interesting to me. Though you do get wacky Tom Hanks poisoning a guy in in a weird, like as like a weird doctor guy go making weird laughs with a weird grin. <laughs> I I kind of feel like the post-apocalyptic story was my least favorite um even though it's it's sort of like pivotal to the to the climax but i don't know it's um i I guess i didn't love the production design of it um i didn't like the i didn't like the halle berry's makeup i didn't like the i didn't like how the holograms were designed that she was using as her os for whatever was she was interacting with, yeah, they um, chunky. All, uh, like the the tribes people looked really good, um, but all, any any of the the feature stuff I kind of felt was I don't know it just felt a little bit boring to me. Um, I think um, Timothy Cavendish is my standout of all of it. I really enjoyed uh, that story, and Jim, Jim Broadbent uh, is really good at carrying it, and yeah, I, I just kind of enjoyed that, and I like that his character throughout the different time periods had that similar sort of like most of them had this sort of like selfish greedy bent to them so that was like regardless of where he was in the time period that's kind of just who he was and his uh timothy cavendish was the sort of one that had a little bit of a a redemption or at least he kind of won at the end i don't know if it was a redemption or not it is a little bit of redemption he is he puts aside his selfishness to go back for uh mr meeks Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and takes a big risk to do that uh, so yeah. that he and the friends that that fabricated the, the escape from the old folks home can get <laughs> out together. And ultimately, that leads him to put aside his lonely life and, and reconnect with his right. lost love. Yep. So yep. he does have a redemption there. I uh, I loved the future speak in the in the post-apocalyptic one. It was really well done. <laughs> fake, fake future. English has changed over 200 years. And they're using words we recognize, but not quite. Definitely, uh, uh, I was watching it with subtitles on, and I'm glad I did. I think some of it would have got lost. Um, but yeah, it you did really for me. Get to, yeah. Um, it, seeing it spelled out, it's like, that's actually really creative. I quite thought they did a good job with the fake future speak. Yeah, I think um, I'd have to watch it a few more times for me to really like 
grok on it are you guys either you guys um fans of the expanse um i've read some of the books but i have not gotten into the show and that's uh a disservice to myself from what i understand the show is very good and actually cleans up some of the problematic parts of the book yeah the like the um the um there's like the inners and the outers in that uh in that show and the 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 people on the outer rim have this kind of um almost Afrikaans-esque accent, but it's it's sort of like also kind of wholly uh, original as well. And like, yeah, when you start watching this show, you kind of like, it's really hard to to really pick up on what they're saying, but like, uh, because it's, you're, you're getting to watch it over several seasons, eventually you just kind of like pick it up and it's totally fine or whatever. So definitely if like I had more time with this movie, I think I would be able to pick it up, but uh, I got the broad strokes regardless. Yeah. Yeah, def- I agree with uh, Liam, actually, because I also watched it with subtitles. Often when I'm watching in the evening, because we have the volume turned down not to wake the kids, we'll turn on the subtitles just so that it helps us follow in case we miss something. And mm-hmm. I agree with Liam 100%. Seeing the the post-apocalyptic future speak in the subtitles really made it much easier to understand. Yeah, just a lot of great little little choices in this. Um, I guess I want to talk a little bit about how this is structured differently than the book because we we realized none of us read the book. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think they did. A, I think they made a sound choice, not trying to to do it exactly how they do in the book. Because well, well, Greg, can you can you walk us through how they do in the book? You were the one who. Yeah. So, so hopefully this is correct because I read this from uh, from Wikipedia. So anyone who actually read the book, uh, if we're wrong, just go ahead and, and correct us. But uh, the book is structured so that um, it kind of starts out chronologically, and yeah, each story uh, kind of leads from um, from a character from the previous story into the character from uh, who's sort of in the future in the next story. And that moves up chronologically. And then it, the, the story kind of comes to um, a head and then it works itself backwards through the timeline and resolves each story in reverse chronological order. Um, whereas obviously this movie does not do that. It, it's everything's um, going all at once. Yeah, which I think speaks to what Scott was saying about how like the tent, like the climactic tension of all six stories hit at the same time. The like, oh, things look their lowest. The villain's gonna win. Hit at the same time. I mean, the crossing the thresholds all kind of hit at the same. Like, they, yep. you know, your your story circle, your hero's journey, yeah. pay off at the same time. Because I think you, it'd be exhausting to watch a movie that hits that cycle six times in a row instead of six times consecutively. Agreed. Hard yeah, it, it might have been somewhat frustrating, especially as you, like, because it the, it introduces you to the rather um, wild sci-fi elements right away. It's actually mm-hmm. the first thing you see, right, is, is the future. Um, whereas, you know, if you're watching them in, in chronological order, you'd go through a lot of like period pieces that are fairly grounded and then suddenly you're in the future and that might be yeah. a little bit of a kick right you go right from broadbent's um uh, nursing home hijinks to uh uh synthesized server people um this is a good example of adaptation um and taking a great idea in a book and reimagining it for a visual medium like film. Um, We're filming this during a thunderstorm, so if there's a little bit of thunder and lightning in the (laughs) background, I apologize. But um, yeah, and it's like uh, clearly um, 
the the people who were adapting the film from the book read the book understood this was a literary choice it's not necessarily going to work on film how can we rework it so that it's it's kind of doing the same thing it's still nesting the stories but do it in a way that allows for a better film experience and i think they made a good choice here so so tom hank does tom hanks doesn't play the same six characters in the book <laughs> i'm assuming not yeah <laughs> that's definitely going to be a hard thing to get across in the in the book but in in a way that tells that adds a different kind of story to it because by linking all those characters through tom hanks there's this almost theme of karma that gets baked into the story in this in this iteration of it and you see how like a, a miserable character in a future life gets karma for being a miserable person and pays off that kind of karmic debt and ultimately goes on to be a better person. And yeah. Yeah. there's the theme that Sanmi hits upon of like undying love of love that lasts beyond one lifetime. And she speaks to, she's speaking to the archivist who's played by six Smith's character who had that love in a previous lifetime. And it speaks to him. Like it touches him right in his soul and he becomes her first true believer, right? Like that, that's the kind of stuff that I don't know that the book could necessarily get across that does get across in the film. And I, yeah. I say that without, again, having read the book. So I can't say for certain that's the case, but it's, it's definitely something the film can communicate visually that the book is going to have to work a different way to tell kind of those same stories. Right. Yeah. And whatever, whatever doesn't get done by having the same actor play different people gets done by having like artifacts show up um from time period to time period um because i'm pretty sure the little blue gem that apocalypse tom hanks has around his neck is a cufflink that's stolen in the first story yep yeah so and then there's lots of details like that yeah i'm sure this movie would benefit from a quick rewatch because there's probably a lot of little little nuggets like that you could pick up throughout so I'll be honest, that was my biggest problem with it, um, and I'm not even worried about tiptoeing into fixes, because I don't know how you fix it, because it's cooked <laughs> into the premise. But my the only thing that kept this from being, like, a four-and-a-half, five-star movie for me was there were so many details in the background, so many um, little things I know I'm supposed to be watching for, meta connections that I know they've added, trying to parse what actor is under what gaudy makeup that I was never 100% fully invested in this movie the way a good movie just sucks you into its world. There was always 5% of my brain or more trying to, like, figure out if that Susan Sarandon dressed like an old man <laughs> scientist. Um, Spoiler, it was. <laughs> it was, yeah. Like, um, Or, like, at one point, um, the the actress who played Soon Me... Um, uh, Bay Duna plays a young, a young Irish woman, like a young, <laughs> like redheaded white woman, who then later is revealed as an adult to be Susan Sarandon. And I'm like, is that Susan Sarandon in like young person Marvel kind of like Tony Stark's dad makeup? Or no, no, it's it's the Asian lady. Okay, I I just I could it 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 was distracting. The knowing there were meta texts I was missing and would have to watch a second time to get them all. Without it, you don't get the premise, but it did distract me quite a bit. Well, I, think, I guess that brings us to 
the makeup overall, which I mean leads us to the 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 worst choice in the film, which is obviously the the yellow face. Look, I can I don't wanna, I, I don't play devil's advocate. It's it's not a good choice. It's they should just shouldn't have done it. But this, I was trying to be like, what is the train of thought that got them there that, <laughs> that made them no one think this is a bad idea? And it has to be. Look, every character, every actor is going to be playing at least six characters, right? Um, or not at least six characters, but like many, many characters. There's going to be people swapping genders, people changing their age. Why wouldn't you just lump race in there if it's like. If you're going to play everything from the boogeyman to a 70s hitman, why couldn't you have an Irish or an Asian actor play a young Irish woman and have a white guy play an Asian? Oh, that's where the problems start, you know. Um, yeah, that I have to believe that's how they got there was they were just like, look, everyone's playing everything. So it's all it's all fair game. Yeah. And it's not. <laughs> I, I just like I, I don't I, I don't see the benefit of having them in the Asian makeup at all. Yeah. Like There's just in no story wise, I don't think it makes a difference. Um, like I, I like, I get that it's new soul and stuff, but like, I think if you wanted to do that, it'd just be like, ah, there's just, there's just white people in new soul or whatever. Yeah, like, I actually have to think that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, it's not. Yeah. Um, I, I can, I can kind of see how they calculate it, but like really even beyond that, like taking, taking like the sort of like the, the sort of racism stuff out of it for just a moment, like even if it wasn't that, that wasn't a problem, it still looks weird. It looks <laughs> so weird and it's so distracting. Like, I know that, like, I know that that's a white guy in Asian makeup. There's like, I can't believe that they put them in the makeup and nobody said this doesn't work. Yeah, this like, doesn't it look good. Does not work <laughs> at the, all. <laughs> there was four or five other screen tests where it looked worse, and this was the best. Yeah, the best of the, all the options. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with Greg wholeheartedly. I think the choice here would have been just there's some don't. white people in Seoul. Just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Easy, easy solution. Um, yeah, and it just yeah, what a what a whiff. And I and I, and it's too bad too because I think I think it's a black mark on an otherwise pretty. Uh, great movie right yeah, um, yeah which is really it's really uh really unfortunate and like i don't know like you know there's always a risk with any uh makeup job be it um you know aged makeup or whatever like sometimes those are pretty distracting as well some I was gonna say yeah some of the makeup that tom hanks had had on with certain um uh characters also looked weird uh and a little distracting and some of the some of the aged makeup um, looked really, really strange. Was it was Bade uh, Duna at one point um, playing a um, like a Latina? I think yeah. yes, like an old yeah. right. Mexican and like yeah. that That's one is like they, that they one also probably... looks super weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even some of the age ones where they all look like like Johnny Knoxville and Bad Grandpa, or that you know, I think you should leave sketch where he's like, <laughs> yeah. I got too much shit on. I got too much shit, man. I don't want to be around anymore. <laughs> like it was a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's always it's always a bit of a risk when you're when you're uh you know your best your best bet is to get age-appropriate actors and i guess i don't know like i get with the premise what they're going for mm -hmm. not possible 
Um, so I kind of understand it. Like, I mean, with, with certain characters, like they just, they just ended up playing like their, their own age throughout the most, like the Robert Forbrister guy. Right. Um, and that worked fine. Like there was no problem with that. Um, yeah, but like, uh, you know, when, when you've got Susan Sarandon and and all sorts of like weird makeup and stuff like that, like it does, it just, it is, yeah, it gets weird. Now, Ben Wishaw does play an old woman at one point. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, does he? <laughs> he plays. Catch that. that. Uh, he plays Cavendish's brother's wife. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. There was a great. The, <laughs> if you watch the, because we we all watch this on Netflix. That's where you can stream it. If anyone wants to watch it, had to click watch credits because I was. But part of what was distracting me throughout the movie was they need to when they go to cr- the credits and it says Tom Hanks' name, they need to give me quick images of everyone Tom Hanks was, and, and they everyone, do. Yeah, and the whole movie, I'm like, they better do this, they better do this, because if I have to go and find some listicle where someone took the time to do it, you know, on AV Club and show me all the things, like, if I have to look up an internet slideshow for this, I'm going to be annoyed. Um, <laughs> and you didn't have to, so that was good, but it was, yeah, I, back to back to the yellow face stuff, there wasn't just the, the new soul stuff, there was like a racial undertone kind of to a lot of the stories and I, other than the the slave one, I didn't know why it needed to come up. Like the fact that they call Bay Duna in her Latina makeup, they they use a a, a slur for yeah. uh, Mexicans. There's a whole weird thing when the boogeyman is telling Apocalypse Tom Hanks, it's like you gonna have you want to get your dick wet in that prescient. She ain't even the same color as you. I'm like, it's 200 years in the apocalypse future, and still the boogeyman's hung up on race mixing. Like I just <laughs> there was there was a a racial undertone to many of the stories that maybe just didn't need to be there. But that's part of the through line of the of the story, though, right? Because it's it's one act of kindness. Uh, in spite of institutionalized racism that starts toppling over the dominoes that lead to ultimately saving mankind. So like the fact that, that, and it's always a bad guy. It's always a villain who's racist in these. And I think that's, that's part of the, the story that it's telling. Yeah. I, I think, I think it can still tell the, the rich meaty story it's telling without any of the, the racial undertones save for the, the, slave stowaway thing because that's cooked into the well and story. one one might argue also the the fabricated people in 2144 is also a kind of a racism story i suppose yeah um i would yeah would that have changed if they were like maybe that was the reason they felt they wanted to put everyone in asian makeup like make the movie be racist so the characters are <laughs> this is asians <laughs> oppressing other synthetic asians um <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I don't know. Tough to tough to say what the what the thought process was there. Yeah, so, but otherwise, yeah, like you said, a black mark on an otherwise brilliant film. Yeah, the thing is, like, and that's that's a a production design choice. That's an easy thing to fix or change. The problem with this movie, though, is that if you want to structurally change anything, the whole thing falls apart. Like, I can't <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine pulling on any thread in this movie because the whole thing would unravel. And that's just how tight it is and how uh, integrated all the stories are. Yeah. Like, could you imagine yeah. pulling out the the Frobisher story? I'm, I don't think you can pull out any one no. story. I'm wondering if you could pull out nuggets of each. Like, I, it, and it, it would take a real, and maybe we should have done our homework, but it would take going through with a real fine-tooth comb to find some of the sort of, like, 
scenes that were forced to get a connection made and no other reason that we found no problem in Love Actually. Um, I think they'd be harder to find here and would take a couple rewatches to be like, oh, actually, you didn't need um, the scene where uh, I'm thinking of one where I think it was Cavendish is talking to like four people in bad grandpa makeup. Uh, and that's where the um, his brother's wife comes out and just says hello. Um, just to have, uh, what is it, Witch- Wisha as a, as a lady? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like we never see that character again. She's just there to be like, look, we put Wisha on a dress. Not um, true. I wonder uh, if there's because, a couple of those you could pull out because his brother tricked him into signing himself into the old folks' home because he had slept with his wife. Right. She does. We need to see. So the wife. that is yeah. something we need to see. Yes. See again. Um, it's it's really those, tightly together. And those two yeah. characters are somewhat connected because of the the yeah you know, the, the the link to the previous life with Frobisher and Ayers. Yep. Yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah. There, like, I think that just kind of proves your point, Liam. Is uh, yeah, I is started like when you, when you start like re- a- when you start releasing threads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes our job. I don't know what's the word impossible. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I think. The second half of this podcast is going to be wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's say we we get to that second half. Then let's hear from our friends at the Alberta Podcast Network. This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business. And Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no-obligations comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing, and you can feel good knowing you're helping give back to our communities with your utilities bills. Learn more right now at parkpower.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We are talking Cloud Atlas. Um, and I, yeah, this is going to be a tough one to fix because uh, there's there's uh, a lot of bold <laughs> choices were made that make it integral and a lot of narrative threads unravel quickly if you tug on them too hard. So I'm going to start us off with a quick, easy fix that would have taken away my biggest problem with it, which was the distraction of the meta. Um... Scott, off the top, he said it was a very well-edited film, and I would be inclined to agree, uh, but yet I want it edited even better. <laughs> I would love slightly more lingering shots on items that are carrying over from one storyline to another. I'd like them just a little more obvious, um, and I, I'm surprised I'm saying that, because usually I love when movies don't dumb down <laughs> for their audience. I like it when a movie, you know, makes you work for it, makes you think about it. Um, but in this case, it's just like, if they had used some visual film language stuff to like, drive home that like, you've seen this artifact before, or yep, that is Hugo weave like Hugo weaving under the boogeyman makeup. 
take a good look, make sure you know it's Hugo Weaving so we can move on and you don't spend this whole scene going, is that Hugo Weaving or one of the, the black guys? Like, I don't, I can't tell who's who that is. Is it, wait, or is this an actor I haven't seen yet? Is it, um, just take away some of that mystery so that I'm not distracted by it. And I think that could be done with just really deliberate, um, lingering editing. There's one scene that sticks out in my mind where Six Smith, as an old man in the 70s, is reading one of Frobisher's letters from the 30s. And there's this transition where we go from Frobisher searching his room to half the room turning into Six Smith in his hotel room in the 70s. And then the other half of the room also transitions. So we get this lingering shot of the two of them separated by their time periods, but sharing the same space. And I'm wondering if we could have had a little more of that in the movie, um, like mm-hmm. creative creative ways to have the characters share the space with one another a little bit as we transition from one one time period to another. Yeah, I think that's that's the better articulated uh, version of what I was was hoping to see those those things that just like show you the parallels a little more clearly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I what. <laughs> The only real minor quibble I can think of that that would qualify as um, you know a note um, would be maybe for the the two future time periods, you know if if aesthetically um, the new soul time period looked more um, Blade Runner than it does um, like super high-tech future Tron yeah yeah that's probably a good way of putting it um then I I feel like that would have meshed and married a little better with the rest of what was uh going on I I think having it feel a bit more grounded uh would definitely uh make it feel less of a of a speed bump when you're going from one to the other now I mean as I said before the, the movie does a good job of getting used to getting you introduced to the side five uh, moments earlier so it's uh, it's not too much of a problem but i don't know i just i just would have liked to have seen that just like a little bit more of a grim grittier kind of uh take on it and i i think um that would have worked much better and i I think it would have actually suited the story a little bit more because a lot of it looks um a bit too clean um for that you know, it, like it's a pretty hellish story when you think about it. Like they're just like they're replicating um, servants and then they're eating them afterwards, right? Like it's it's uh, it's horrifying, uh, and yet um, you know things just look a little bit too. Um, uh, you know, I understand the contrast between like you know the the when they're serving everything's like nice and clean, and then it drops and you get that you get sort of realistic. You get the reality of what's going on underneath it. That's, that's a cool visual language thing, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I want to just add in, um, while it's very obvious in the 2144 time period, um, and ultimately the, the post-apocalyptic time period, the strong eating the weak metaphor and the actual cannibalism <laughs> running through all the time periods. <laughs> like at one point, yeah. uh, at one point, Cavendish even shouts Soylent Green as people, like yep. as a joke. Yep. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, that that shows the kind of like thought and care that went into them threading these narratives through all these time periods. Yep. Yeah. 
Maybe I missed it. Maybe it's another example of just something I wanted spelled out a little more for me. <clears throat> um, Frobisher's uh, Cloud Atlas Sextet. How often does that show up as elite motif throughout the movie? I would not be able to tell you how it sounds off the top yep. of my head. The music in this movie is fine, but kind of forgettable. And I think that that sextet should have been front and center. It should have been a leap yeah. motif running through all six stories. It should have been really prominent and it should be unforgettable. And I yeah, think, especially be... for a movie that's named after it, the movie yeah. is named Cloud Atlas. It's named after his his masterpiece. The music should have been right in my face the whole time and should have wowed yeah. me the whole time. And, yeah. and, you know, really fun opportunity to play with, like, if you've got that leap motif, what does it sound like on... 18th century violin what does mm-hmm. it sound like on a 70s electric guitar what does it sound like on a synthesizer in new neo soul what does it sound like on bongo drums in the apocalypse <laughs> like no legit yeah absolutely which which they might have been yeah, doing but is, it just wasn't distinguished enough for yeah. me to recognize yeah, it from I, place to place now that i think about it i couldn't say thing one about the score of this no. movie which is no. a shame because it it should be like it should be such a big part of this because one of the stories is about the music. Yeah. Yeah. That was and my note. That was actually my easy. note. <laughs> my <laughs> note was more music was yeah. better music up the score. Put it right in my face, make it like big and bold and unforgettable. Yeah. So easy to connect all six with one. That's the one thing that's consistent in all six of them. Like, didn't mean to steal your note. But no, yeah, but it, we it's its very telling. We both hit upon the same issue with the score, is that it's very forgettable and it shouldn't have been. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm, I hadn't even thought of it. I'm, I'm glad you guys brought it up because it's a great point that it does need to be, it, w- it would serve the movie extremely well if, uh, if it had a very strong uh, backbone of music. Other than that, I'm stumped, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell um, you. Yeah, make some better choices with your makeup. Um Get a bring the music, bring the music up, make it more front and center, maybe a little bit like just tweak the editing a little bit so that it's, it's a little smoother. There you go. We fixed the movie. guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they aren't all <laughs> page one rewrites. <laughs> Look, this is, this is interstellar all over again, where someone pitches a movie to us and we watch it and it turns out to actually be really good. And we spend most of the time just talking about how great it was. <laughs> I, got, I got another one. I got another one now that, now that we got talking about it. I'm, I'm thinking of things like thing. I was trying to go back on things. I couldn't quite remember or parts in the early part of the movie that were, were fuzzy or weird. Um, it does start by showing you the end. It does the thing where it shows you the end of a lot of these stories. Um, you see um, Frobisher going to kill himself. You see Old Man Apocalypse Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if it... How much How much do you think things would have changed if they hadn't done the, the classic show you the last scene first and then build to how we got there cliche if they had cut that and just started where they all start? Like, if we didn't have old man Tom Hanks going, you want to know about the before times? Ooh, I tell you, there's a before times. I tell you a story. I got a scar on my face. How'd I get this scar? You'll find out in three hours. <laughs> um, I actually, I like that because it gives you one solid hook 
for each of the six stories so that you're instantly like, what's going on there? What's this about? Why is that guy killing himself? Like, and so you're immediately like, okay. And then it takes us back to the beginning for all of them. And now there's the question of like, how did Louisa find this mystery? What's going on with, with the suicide? Uh, it's, it all kind of blossoms from this like initial, like wham moment for each of them. Yeah. So I'm just, like I can't I, remember I, see I can't remember the wham moment for most of the story. Like what was what was the first thing we see with Cavendish? Uh, it's him talking about how he wasn't expecting uh, his author to throw a man off a balcony at a party. <laughs> yeah, but that's and, at the like, beginning of his story. I don't know if there was a. I don't know. If, I, I'm not sure that we saw the end. I don't of think all you do the it stories, for all of them. Yeah. No, right? Like we don't see lawyer buddy sweating it out from poison. Yeah, and we see um, Louisa talking about the murder of six Smith, but it's not like late in her story. It's kind of in the middle, but it's, yeah. it's, it's a hook. It's getting us okay. invested right away. Then. Yeah. I think I'd need to change how I think about it. It's not the like, Oh, here's the ending first. It's a, it's a hook of each. Yeah. And, and yeah. I see why they did it because if they had started cold on all six stories, I think that actually would have been very hard to get invested in. But by like hitting us right up front, boom, boom, boom. These are these six stories. This is what they're about. You're instantly like, all right, I'm curious. Go on. You've got my attention. <laughs> yeah. It's also kind of setting the stage for how the rest of the movie is going to be edited. So it's giving you a good, a pretty quick um, palate cleanser. Like, okay, yeah. here's here's what's going to happen. This is, this is the clip we're going to move at um, and just dive in like this is we're going to be moving from place to place very quickly so get used to it kind of thing so i I think it i think it does set that stage quite well well i'm glad i asked but i think you're right it's not a problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, it's like most of my stuff is mostly like cosmetic with this one um um i i just don't (laughs) i don't know if i'm skilled enough to really like start picking this movie apart from a <laughs> from a structure point you know maybe if we do this podcast for another six years <laughs> we'll come back to cloud atlas and i'll give it another shot well then. and it it <laughs> might help if you know to go and read the story and then yes, yeah, yes. like be able to come at it because i've certainly on previous episodes been the guy who's been like well actually in the book and um i don't have the power to do that this time because i have not read it but there could be choices that are in the book that you would be able to look back on the movie and say, oh, you know what? This maybe was done better in the book, or you could have done this that was done in the book, or maybe this happened in the book and it wasn't in the movie. And, and that's something that maybe should have been in the movie. Um, but unfortunately we're not in a position to speak from that because (laughs) all of us came into this movie first. So yes, this this might be a bit of a tangent, but like when you, when you do watch a film that's based on a book, um, does, does that, um, hinder or help your experience with the film? How do you mean? Like a book I've read or haven't, or like the, uh, like a book that you've read and you then you watch the film? It depends on the quality of the film. Like there are film. there are film adaptations of books that I've read that I quite enjoy, and even even if they're quite different from the book, I understand the choices that were made. That obviously an adaptation on film is going to necessarily be different than the book version. But if the movie's just also bad, <laughs> like I'm, it's, <laughs> yeah, I, it will leave a bad taste in my mouth if it's a book that I liked. So, yeah. you know, I'm a little embarrassed to say I, so I'm, I managed uh, chapters in Indigo for about five years of my working life. I, I 
am an avid reader, used to be a much more avid reader, but almost everything I read was nonfiction. <laughs> I honestly don't think I could name, other than like I read a bunch of the comics the MCU is now based on, I don't think I've ever read a book that then got turned into a movie that wasn't a comic book. So I truly couldn't, <laughs> couldn't tell you because I'm like, I, I have read so few <laughs> fiction novels that... Yes, Scott Pilgrim versus the World is about the only one where I can like. <laughs> I, I like for me, there's there's an element of distraction to it. Um, I remember I had read uh, the Fellowship of the Ring right before the movie had come out, and while uh, I still enjoyed it very much, um, the Peter Jackson's film, but um, I was spending a lot of time thinking about the differences between uh the book and the movie like oh tom balvadale's not yeah so be like where's tom <laughs> yeah like stuff like that you know and um it's 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 a credit to to peter jackson that film like visually it was it was kind it was very similar to how i how i visualized the the, the story in my mind's eye when i was reading it he did a masterful job and and also that's owing to um you know, to, uh, Tolkien and his his immense amount of detail that he pours into his books, right? Um, you know, and I found that with other books that I've read that have turned into movies like The Martian comes to mind, um, where uh, the mode of storytelling is um, effectively quite different on film than it is in the book. Um, and uh, it's just like, I'm just kind of watching it going like, I... I like this movie, but it doesn't give me the same thrill that the book does just because it can't tell the story in the same way. Like just like on film, it's just, you're, you're not in, you're not in the Martian's head, uh, exploring, uh, ideas and solutions with him, right? Like you're just kind of watching him do it, um, which is quite a bit different. So yeah, it's just, um, it, it's just interesting. Or those cases of like World War Z where you're just watching it. It's like, like this has nothing to do, <laughs> to do with the book. So I'm, I'm, I'm along for the ride, I guess. This is, this is interesting, but yeah, the, the book has nothing to do with the book at all. I, uh, it was really, I'm like, what other books have I, <laughs> I, tr I tried to read A Clockwork Orange, and speaking of, of future speak, that book is unreadable. I don't know how that is still in print, because it is gibberish start to finish, and I got maybe eight pages into it before I was like, this is nonsense. I don't want to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, like, speaking of nonsense, uh, we got some great <laughs> what a segue from our listeners. <laughs> What a segue, indeed. <laughs> uh, of course, we love reading your comments here on the show. Uh, we solicit them on our Facebook page, over on our Twitter, at I Have Some Notes, and on Instagram, at I Have Some Notes Pod. You comment, we read them, we riff on them. It's like you're here on the show. Let's get into it. Tack says, being a cishet white guy, I feel unqualified to comment on the, shall we say, race bending. But if we agree it's a problem, maybe the solution is make it more surreal? Have a different actor play the part until they do something that sparks a connection. Then switch out the actor without the makeup, establishing that it's not diegetic. Interesting. So be like, yes, this is the guy, but we're not going to make... Okay, cool. I, I see where you're going with that. Uh, Tack continues. 
On that note, make them recurring characters act slash actors a little more similar to themselves. Give us something to latch onto besides the fact that they're the same actor. Similar traits, lines, and or flaws. Something that suggests they are, in a way, the same person. I feel that they are. People- yeah. Like there's there's enough there's enough connective tissue that I I I read the connections between those characters based on the actors that they were playing. Uh, or being played by rather. Um, and a lot of it was subtext and a lot of it mm-hmm. was uh, like in reading the, the metaphors and the, the through lines from the film. But I, I felt there was connective tissue between those characters. Yeah. It, it kind yeah. of switches between like, you know, the, uh, a character being um, similar in mannerisms and tone and uh, uh, how they act as, as as well as being just similar in just like how their plot and story kind of works around. So there's, there's differences between the connections. And I think, I think if you're, if you're hoping for um, more, I don't know, like a more smooth connection, I get that that might be frustrating because you are having to spend a lot of time, like the movie's moving pretty fast and you're having to spend a lot of time thinking about those connections. And for some of the characters or some of the actors line of, characters um i didn't really see the connection for example like susan sarandon's i didn't really find a through line through them most of the time i didn't notice who was who was susan sarandon to be honest so that's probably why another another reason why some sometimes the makeup is, is sort of like a hindrance to this movie than than a than helping it well and susan sarandon's maybe not the best example because she's very much a side character yeah. i'm thinking yeah. i'm thinking more for like the primary characters yeah. for like ewing and frobisher and Sixsmith and um and sanmi like they're all uh and and zach uh they're all they're all characters who like are like main front and center characters through every story. And I really felt the connection between all of them in all the time periods, much more than Susan Sarandon or um, unfortunately, and I'm sad to say the great Keith David, um, even though it was nice to see them pop up again and again. Mm-hmm. As, as if uh, he's here commenting with us, <laughs> Tack follows up. I've heard people trying to draw character arcs throughout these timelines, but I just don't buy it. Maybe I didn't pick up on all the nuances, but I'm not going to go back and check. You should go back and check, Tack. <laughs> you know, the, like, I'm, I'm with Tack. I, I like this movie. I don't, I might watch it again, but I'm not going to watch it again anytime in the next couple weeks to go back and get all the things I missed. It's not that good, and they're not that interesting. And again, having to, feeling like I'm missing stuff on a like as I'm watching this, I can tell it would sir like halfway through this movie, I could tell it would behoove me to give it a second pass, and that sort of annoyed me. That I'm like, there's no way to get everything on the first go. I don't mind a movie for that a does that. Movie. And Wachowski movies are often movies that benefit from a rewatch. Like even the matrix benefits from a rewatch. Cause there's stuff you're going to sure, miss. Could, Cause there's stuff you're going to miss on the first pass. Yeah. But I could, I could see going to see matrix twice in the theater in one weekend, a hell of a lot more than this, you know, like, fair. This is, this is a much more ambitious and much more heady bit of speculative fiction than the, the matrix. And the matrix is already pretty heady speculative fiction. Um, so yeah, I can I can see why this one's more challenge, and I don't take this the wrong way. This is a more challenging watch than The Matrix, um, and I can see why that makes it less 
um, it it makes it feel more like work to go back and watch it yeah. because it's less uh, it's less popcorny. That's kind of yeah. where I'm going with that. I fully intend to watch this movie again. For the record, side note: I, I I'm quick. I think Tack is quickly becoming my one of my one of the people that I'm most excited to see comment because he's it's always thoughtful and insightful. So yeah, thanks for, for bringing that stuff to us. Tech. Oh yeah. I might not always agree with you, but you definitely bring up good discussion. So yeah. Muncie comments. Well, it's a Wachowski joint. So have we considered making it bigger and more gay? (laughs) This is already both big and gay. I don't know how you could do more. (laughs) (laughs) I hate your taste in movies comments. I love a movie that takes a big swing, even if it doesn't always work out. The Wachowskis are nothing if not ambitious. But the yellow face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've commented on many of their previous films, how they are, they're fond of making big choices. And they don't always work. (laughs) (laughs) But I respect that they make choices because there are a lot of directors who don't. And they're very forgettable directors. And some of them make very big movies for very big IPs that are owned by multi-billion dollar megacorporations. Um, and yeah, it's it, just... I guess it should, to a certain extent, it's also like the uh, studios won't let them make those big decisions, which yeah. is uh, yeah. you know, unfortunate. So it's it's nice when a director has the opportunity to make big choices. And I, I respect... I respect it, even if it doesn't always work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd, I'd wa- this over, <laughs> and uh... and I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that the, the yellow face makeup was meant with the best of intentions. I, like, I think Liam really hit the nail on the head, walking us through what he thinks the thought process was there. And it was not meant maliciously. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I earnestly believe that, but it was it was definitely the wrong choice and a problematic choice. <laughs> yeah, I mean having having Hugo Weaving sing the the, the song from the Aristocats was maybe a little uh, a bridge too far, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, of course, that does not happen. Mass Debaters says uh, Cloud Atlas is a very underrated movie. I would agree. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, we talked about the the ratings for it and Rotten Tomatoes as well as the user ratings, and I think that's, I think we're all in agreement that it's fair that it's it's pretty underrated. And I, like we said earlier, like if a lot of people went back to it, I think they might feel a little bit differently about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is this is a, the kind of challenging movie that that in a, you know ten years ago when it came out or today, there's going to be just a certain set of movie viewers who are just not willing to put the effort into a movie like this. Yeah. Um, yeah to engage with it on its own level, really. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, Dan Broderib, uh, comments, uh, I'm not sure it needs fixing to me. It's more of a personal artistic statement than a commercial film. That means I engage with it on its own terms. I can like it or hate it and have all the opinions in the world about it. And I may, and I have many of them with this film, but I am not entitled to demand changes or tell them, uh, they should have done this or that. Uh, unless they specifically ask. So other than maybe some cosmetic VFX <laughs> stuff, I wouldn't dream of messing with it. I think that's kind of where we all fell on this for the most part. Uh, other than our in- the entire premise of our podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a, like a massive deconstruction. Done, even though absolutely <laughs> nobody asked us to do this. Yeah. Um, 
I was I was thinking back to my first appearance as a guest when we did Rogue One, and excited as I was to be on the panel, I'm like, who are we to tell Disney how to make the, <laughs> how to make their stupid Star Wars movie four years after it came out? Like, what? Is it? No, but um, well, and I've I've even said before we're working from the benefit of hindsight, uh, which yeah, these sure. directors and producers and editors and actors did not have at the time they were making this film. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, this is this is an exercise in in fun and an exercise yeah. in creativity. It is not. <laughs> we are not sending our notes to Hollywood, <laughs> or nor are we, you know, tagging the directors in our podcast advertisers being like, "Hey, listen to this, and maybe think about things next time." We're you know, it's just <laughs> just to you know, a creative exercise. That's fun. It has nothing to do with <laughs> trying to trying to you know have a little be hubristic about our ability yeah. to create <laughs> uh, create movies which none of us have made <laughs> right? so. yeah. but fair like speaking of insightful comments i think that's a, i think that's a fair way of looking at it and uh, yeah. it's hard to argue with it and that concludes our uh, episode on cloud atlas uh we got a couple more left in the season um so again keep your eyes peeled to our social media uh, for uh, commenting on the, the last couple movies we're going to do for, for this season. Um, and of course, wherever it is you are listening to this episode, please give us a like, a subscribe, a review. Um, those comments really do help us out. And uh, the algorithm, too. Yeah, do you like stories that just like move all over the place and go all over everywhere all the time? Well, uh, you might want to check out Quantum Kickflip, which is Liam's other podcast which is also on the Alberta Podcast Network. Six Edmonton comedians play Slug Blaster, a sci-fi tabletop role-playing game developed right here in Alberta. You can check it out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And in two weeks, uh, tune in for Ocean's 8. Wait, I didn't I didn't get any note that we needed to watch Ocean's 8. What's up with that? Oh, you didn't? I'm sure I sent it. Maybe, maybe am I might... Maybe it went somewhere else. Maybe that email went somewhere else. I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> well, until then, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the clouds. Clouds.